You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But now even more the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. This is the word of the Lord. G'day, City on a Hill. Trust and pray you are keeping well. In the past few weeks, uh, as I've been walking through the neighborhood exploring my 5K, uh, I've noticed that I have a particular interest in uh, looking at other people's hard rubbish collections. Uh, I don't know if I'm trying to find something of value in that, but inevitably all I ever see is broken TVs, uh, old sofas that are torn, ripped apart, and some old toys that have lost their color and appeal. But as the saying goes, one man's trash is another man's treasure. There's a couple of artists by the names Tim Noble and Sue Webster, uh, fine artists who have made it their life's ambition to take our rubbish and our waste and transform it into works of art. I want you to check this out, right? Isn't this amazing? You know, at first glance, this is just, you know, disregarded and disorganized metal, but under the light with the shadow cast, like the art, the, the, the beauty is revealed. And, and I wanted to start with this you know, image of transformation because it, it speaks into our story. You know, here we are in this sermon series, getting up close and personal with people who encountered Jesus. And what we discover is that when people encounter Jesus, they are changed and transformed by Jesus. And what's particularly interesting about today's encounter is that we meet a man who was disregarded and forgotten by the world. What does Jesus do with a man who has been tossed to the side? What does Jesus do with a man who was considered Nothing more than hard rubbish. And what does that say to you and me in our call today? If you've got a Bible handy, I'd love you to come with me to our reading in Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. While Jesus was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. Here in the midst of a busy street, a man is approaching Jesus. And who is this man? 
We don't know what family he's from. Uh, We don't know where he lives. We don't know anything about his background. All that Luke points out is that he is full of leprosy. Now, keep in mind that Luke himself was a physician, which means that he would have known firsthand just how devastating this leprosy is. It's full, a man full of leprosy. In other words, there's not a part of his body that this disease has not consumed and and taken over. And as many of you know, leprosy is this devastating disease. It's a a bacterial infection that that attacks the nerves and uh, and impacts the skin and the eyes and the nose. And and if left untreated, it, it can lead to the loss of limbs and in some cases, blindness. You, know, you hear these tragic stories because of the, the loss of nerves that, that people with leprosy can accidentally take hold of a hot plate or, or throw boiling water onto their face because they, they've lost the sensation of pain. And while the impact of the body is severe, uh, what is equally devastating is the damage leprosy had on a person's identity, and indeed their place in the community. As this piece of art uh, in the Middle Ages detects, people with leprosy were unwelcomed. They were told to, to stand back. And that is because in the ancient world, it was believed that leprosy was highly contagious. And so people were not only repulsed by those who had leprosy, they were afraid. They wanted them to stay back. I was listening to a guy this week uh, who himself had suffered leprosy and now had been cured, but he was reflecting on those early years. He says, people would not want to share anything with you. People would walk around an entire block so that they would not pass by your neighbors or streets. If people found out that you had leprosy, They would find out where your kids went to school and immediately withdraw their kids just in case they might catch the disease. In some cases, people's fear was so great, people with leprosy would have their house burned down. I was listening to another woman who shares of her pain and struggle. She discovered leprosy when she was just 12 years of age. She says, my mother was very sad thinking about me. She said, we should not live. We should both die. And she brought down some poison for me to drink. The little girl says to her mom, mom, I won't drink this, but I will go away. What would it be like to live with that kind of stigma? That kind of shame. I remember early last year just walking uh, with my four kids down the street just as COVID-19 was whipping up our world. And and, and you could sense the, the fear rising and the fear in people's eyes. On this same path, I I see a couple coming the other way and ordinarily they would just walk on by and smile and say good day, but you see them 
drop their heads, immediately detour and walk past on the other side of the road. I get that times like this require some social distancing, but imagine if that was your life. Imagine if you were the one person that no one wanted to come near, the one person that people avoided, the one person that everybody said, stand back, keep away. Did you know that in the ancient world, if a rash or a skin disease or some leprosy was found on your body, you would immediately be inspected by the high priest. And if it was discovered and confirmed that you had leprosy, the, the, the high priest would define you unclean. You'd be marked with a new identity. It didn't matter whether you just graduated from university or flying high in your career. It didn't matter if you were days away from your honeymoon. In that moment, your identity and indeed your life was changed forever. And the law said that from that moment on, the person who is deemed unclean must wear worn and torn clothes. They must cover their lip. And whenever they walk outside and see another person coming, they must shout out, unclean, unclean. Could you imagine that walking through your own neighborhood? Could you imagine walking through the street and you see family playing in the front yard and yet you have to say, unclean, unclean. The very thing that you hate most about yourself, the very thing that causes you shame, the very thing that you long to be taken away, you must shout unclean, unclean, wherever you go. And not only must you shout your shame, the law also mandated that you live alone. Leviticus 13 says that a person deemed unclean, a person of leprosy, had to live outside of the camp and they must live alone. In a culture like this, you need to appreciate that living outside of the camp puts you in a place of vulnerability and danger. You couldn't work a job. You couldn't protect yourself. If another tribe or gang had come through, you were exposed. You're vulnerable. You have no one to care for you. No one to look out for you. You have to suffer alone. I was talking this week with Alice Arnott. Uh, Alice serves as uh, my EA on our team here in Melbourne. She's also uh, a nurse who works at Royal Melbourne. And she was sharing with me uh, that she was nursing a, a patient uh, who was just recently uh, diagnosed with COVID-19. COVID-19, she picked it up uh, at a local supermarket. And, and I want you to hear what, what Alice said. She says, as I cared for her throughout my shift, she shared her fears, fears surrounding COVID-19. And what was striking to me was her fears weren't so much about the disease itself. She seemed confident in the medical care she was receiving. She said, when I found out I had COVID, what I was most scared of was how I would be treated and that I would be locked in a room and the nurses and doctors wouldn't want to come 
near me. Do you hear her angst? Do you hear her fear? You know, it's one thing to suffer, but something far more devastating when we suffer alone. Here in Luke 5, we, we meet a man suffering. He's full of leprosy. He's rejected. He's forsaken. He's living outside the camp and he's suffering alone. But I want you to see what happens next. Look to verse 12. When the man saw Jesus, he fell on his face and he begged him, Lord, if you will, make me clean. My heart breaks for this man, but gee, I'm inspired by his courage and his faith, right? I mean, I can only imagine just how many times he's tried to find relief for his body, how many times he's sought help, how many dead ends he's come up against. And yet here he is trying one more time, searching for one more answer to get the healing he so desperately needs. Now, had he met Jesus before? It appears so, and he calls him Lord. Maybe he heard Jesus teaching. Maybe he heard about a miracle. We don't know, but what we do know is he's face down begging. Jesus for a miracle. And notice what he says here. He doesn't say, Lord, if you are able, make me clean. He says, Lord, if you will, make me clean. Why is that distinction important? It's important because it reveals that this man believes. He believes that Jesus has the power to heal. He believes that Jesus can turn his life around. He believes that if God wills, he will rid him of this disease and it will be so. Lord, if you will, make me clean. Jesus Verse 13, stretched out his hand and touched him. You know what's interesting to me about this encounter? Jesus didn't need to touch this man. The man has asked for healing. And we know in the ministry of Jesus that he healed many people without touching them. In fact, most of them he declares healing and they're healed. In fact, it's the occasion of the centurion's servant, right? Nearing death, if I remember rightly. Jesus wasn't anywhere near the servant. And yet because of the man's faith, because of the power of Jesus, he's healed. Jesus doesn't need to touch anyone for someone to be healed. And so why does Jesus stretch out his hand and touch him? Why does Jesus touch the man with leprosy? Well, one of the things we all know about ourselves is that we're not only relational beings that are made for community and friendship. We are physical bodies made for physical touch. 
I was uh, listening to my uh, favorite uh, podcast. It's called Ear Hustle, and it's set in San Quentin Prison. And they devoted an entire episode to men who have spent extended days and weeks in solitary confinement. And it's just brutal. You know, these uh, dark rooms, minimal light, uh, minimal human interaction, minimal food, and they're there for days, they're there for weeks. And what struck me about their testimonies was hearing them talk about the pain of not having any physical touch, right? We all know that a, that a person who is starved of, of physical touch experiences a breaking of the heart, leading to all manner of pain and, and, and grief. One of the guys who was interviewed said that he on occasion would deaden his right hand just so he could lay his hand on his face and have the sensation that he could feel what appeared to be somebody else. Another guy in solitary confinement said that on occasion he would cause chaos and trouble in his cell deliberately because he knew that with all the clashing and banging and screaming, six armed guards would storm his cell, wrestle him and beat him to the ground. And he said he did that just so he could feel the touch of another person. When you know this and see the leper, a man of leprosy, you need to appreciate that they are living in solitary confinement. And yet here is Jesus reaching out his hand and touching him. And do you notice that Jesus touches the man before he heals the man. Jesus could have healed the man and then touched him. But by touching the man and then healing him, what is Jesus saying? He is telling this man in no uncertain terms that his love for this man isn't dependent upon his healing. His love for this man isn't dependent upon his cleanness. His love for this man isn't dependent upon him having it all together. No, Jesus loves him as he is in his mess, in his muck, in his disease, in his forsakenness, in his isolation, in his loneliness. Jesus loves him. You know what that is? Grace. Oh, it's grace. Listen, grace isn't some pithy word that Christians throw around at mealtime. Grace is the arms of Jesus reaching into the mess and muck of our lives and drawing us close. Look then to verse 13. Jesus stretches out his hand and touches him saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. I want you to circle the word immediately, right? Full of leprosy. But with the will of Jesus, the hand of Jesus, immediately the leprosy left him. Immediately he's free 
of the disease. Immediately, he's made whole. Immediately, he is transformed. Now, I know a lot of people today doubt miracles like this, right? We might believe that this miracle happened back then, but we doubt that God can heal like this today. Um, I was just listening to the story of a pastor who didn't really believe in the miraculous. He was what is known in theological circles, a cessationalist. The cessationalist believes that the the miracles, the, the, the miraculous that we see in the Bible ended at the time of the apostles. And yet he went on this mission trip uh, to South America and he was traveling to a, to a small village and, and preaching a sermon. At the end of the sermon, he, he closed out the preach with, with a prayer, a prayer he would normally pray. You know, Lord, thank you for this word and that your word has gone out. And if there's anyone here who wants to know your salvation, may they know and take hold of your salvation. And he says, if there's anyone here who wants to know your healing, God, may they take hold of that healing right now. And as he says that, there's these shouts and these screams from the back of the the, the, the auditorium where they're gathered. And he keeps on praying and yet these shouts and screams continue. Eventually he opens up and he hears people saying, she is healed, she's healed, she's better. This woman who was healed uh, had been blind since she was a little girl. Today, she's 70 years of age, and yet in that prayer, as he invited people to respond, she felt her eyes change, the scales of her eyes fall, and she could see for the very first time. That's extraordinary. This pastor who didn't believe that miracles could happen accidentally healed one. He says moments like that mess with your theology. Listen, Jesus is powerful. He stands supreme and sovereign over all. We can't box him in. We can't limit him by what we expect he will do or what we expect he won't do. He is God. And if he wills, If he stretches out his hand and touches your life, he has the power to do the miraculous. Are all healed on this side of heaven? No. Does faith in Jesus automatically lead to a life free of suffering and disease? No. But that does not mean we do not pray for freedom for suffering and disease when they come. There is no affliction which is beyond his power. There is no suffering which is beyond his love. There is no disease that is beyond his capacity to heal. James says, we have not because we ask not. James says, a prayer made in faith will make the sick person well. Listen, the Bible is very clear. All who put their faith in Jesus will be healed. Now that healing may be realized in the age that is to come, but it will come. It will come. Why not now? Why not invite others 
to pray. Why not ask God to touch your life and work in a supernatural and powerful way today? It's a great quote uh, from Dane Ortland that was featured in this week's Melbourne Weekly. He says, When Jesus expels demons and heals the sick, he is driving out of creation the powers of destruction and is healing and restoring created beings who are hurt and sick. The Lordship of God to which the healings witness restores creation to health. Jesus' healings are not supernatural miracles in a natural world. They're the only truly natural thing in a world that is unnatural, demonized and wounded. This is the Jesus we worship. This is the Jesus who is alive and eager to meet us with his love. This is the Jesus who enters into the unnatural, the demonized, the wounded, and brings healing, restoration, and life. Look then to verse 14. And Jesus charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. Now, earlier I explained that leprosy obviously had devastating uh, consequences to the body, right? It impacted you physically, but also uh, socially and relationally. But perhaps more than any of those impacts was what it would do not to you physically or relationally, but indeed spiritually need to appreciate that in the ancient world, leprosy and any serious disease like that was deemed to be a curse that was directly connected to a man or woman's sin. In other words, they thought that their leprosy was a consequence of their bad behavior, their evil, their past mistakes, and they were therefore now living under the judgment of God. Right? Take a moment to think about that. Take a moment to consider the wrestle and distance that he would have felt trying to work out how he had messed up so bad to have deserved such a painful and difficult life. To know that when you walk, people are not only repulsed by you and afraid of you, they are looking down on you with condemnation. But this is why the encounter with Jesus is so important. Immediately after being healed, he says, go and show yourself to the priest. Make an offering as Moses commanded. So in Leviticus 14, we're told that if a person has been healed of leprosy, the priest was to go outside of the camp and inspect. And if it was deemed true, if it was revealed that a person was healed of leprosy, they would make a sacrifice. They would take two birds. One of the birds would be killed in clean water. They would then take the other bird, dip it into the blood of the dead bird and sprinkle it on the man seven times. Right? Why seven? Because seven is the divine number. It speaks of completion. And you know what the priest then does with the living bird? He holds it up and he lets it fly into the open field. The symbolism is beautiful. Standing outside the camp, the man is not only deemed clean, 
but like the bird, is now free. After seven days living outside the camp, the man is then instructed to wash his clothes, cut his hair, sacrifice two lambs. The priest takes his sacrifices on his behalf and, and lays them at the altar before the Lord, right? The lamb is the substitute for the man's sin, right? The wages of sin is death and these lambs pay that price on his behalf. In other words, from that moment on, he is clean. He is also forgiven. The guilt, whatever he's done is paid for. It's, it's done. And you know what comes next? It's really the best part. After the man makes his own sacrifices, washes his body, there's anointing of all uh, oil, he is invited in. After years of living by himself outside the camp, the man is welcomed home, welcomed into the community, welcomed into the family, welcomed to the temple of the living God. Can you imagine that? Can you see that? Right here he is after years of living by himself outside and riddled with disease. He's clean, right? His clothes are as white as snow. He is smiling from ear to ear. His family is rejoicing. The people are worshiping for he, the forsaken one, is home. You know what that is? That's the good news of the gospel. That is why God sent his son. God did not send Jesus to condemn this world, but to save this world. Jesus, the one and only one who is pure and perfect and holy and without sin, he gave it all for love. Just as Jesus was willing to touch the arm of the leper, so Jesus was willing to enter into our sin and our mess. And Jesus took on our shame. Jesus took on our suffering. And in the end, Jesus took on our curse of judgment and death. And in suffering, Jesus, he suffered alone, hanging on that cross, bleeding, naked, Rejected, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet, you know what is remarkable? The Bible says that Jesus embraced the suffering of the cross with joy. Why? Because Jesus loves the leper. Jesus loves the lonely. Jesus loves the foolish. Jesus loves the forgotten. Are you struggling with guilt and sin today? Are you walking in shame, condemned by yourself and this world? Are you feeling alone, afraid, forsaken? Are you living outside of the camp? Listen to me, Jesus is your hope. Jesus is your comfort. Jesus is your truth. He knows you. He loves you. 
And right now, His hand of grace is reaching out toward you. Just as He reached out and touched this man, so His hand is reaching out to you right now. Reaching out to love you, to bless you. Reaching out to comfort and transform you. Right, Jesus... He doesn't just want to forgive you of sin. He wants to establish you as his own. And I want you to realize the the transforming power of this grace. This grace that takes the rubble and mess of our life and, and makes us new. He changes us, right? We go from being outside of the camp to Jesus' people. We become His hands. We become His feet. His love becomes our love. His compassion is our compassion. You know, this week I um, had an incredible opportunity to tag along with Pete Sellers. Uh, Pete's part of the team here in Melbourne, heads up so much of our mercy ministry. Each week he's there cooking meals with volunteers and going to the hard places in our city to serve and bless the homeless and the disadvantaged. This Wednesday, I got to tag along, along with the Melbourne team. And there we are at a cafe in Burnley, cooking up meals and packing them into these plastic containers. We then load them up into the car and we drive off into the city. And he says, we're going to pull up at Queen Vic Market. Now, Queen Vic Market, of course, is closed at the moment, but in pulling up my car, I just see streams of people lined up, waiting and eager. As we come out and we're sharing these meals, there's just gratitude and and thankfulness, right? And, And you can see that clothes are old and a little bit tattered and some people have lost their teeth and the the smell of the streets is, is on their skin. And I get talking to a guy, really friendly guy, smiling and eager to talk. His name's Mick. And I say, Mick, how long have you lived on the streets? Without skipping a beat, he says, 30 years. I'm just blown away. 30 years living on the street. I say, man, you must have been young. Right? He didn't look that much older than me. You must have been young. He says, well, I started drinking when I was eight years of age stealing liquor from my mum. As a young teen, things at home got really difficult and I just ran away. Went to different homes and different institutions, but just found my place on the streets. Tried people's sofas, but I didn't want to be a burden. So I found myself sleeping under bridges, sleeping on park benches, sleeping on trains. He says, you know, out here, We kind of stick together. We've got a bit of a family community amongst those in the street, but it's hard. You know, it's hard waiting for food and the cold at night is just the worst. Mick's got a bit of a uh, spring in his step because he says to me, I've gone five days without taking ice and my hope is to make it to 30. As I'm talking with him and he's eating his dinner out of this plastic container, I just, man, my heart breaks. You know, because these are the people, Mick, the people like Mick, these people, they're forgotten in our city. They're hidden and tucked away. Yet these are the very people 
Jesus loves. Oh, he loves them so. He cares for them. He embraces them. He feeds them. He blesses them. He forgives them. He longs to restore them. And I, I'm inspired by Jesus. And I'm also challenged. I'm challenged because I think so much of Christianity today is so safe, so soft, so resistant to going to the hard places, the difficult people. Where are the men of faith who are willing to to go and to seek and to serve and to lay down their lives? Where are the women willing to step out with courage and sacrifice, not thinking of themselves, but thinking of Christ and His glory and the people that Jesus is with? Where is the church in this hour of need? I'm challenged by that because as a Christian, I know my call is not just to to believe in Jesus, it's to follow Jesus. It's to become like Jesus. That doesn't mean necessarily that we have to be handing out meals, but it's got to mean something, right? The blood of Jesus is in your veins if you're a Christian. If you're born again, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. We can't have our heads in the sand. We've got to be out there like Jesus, with Jesus, loving like Jesus, helping people see Jesus. Perhaps you were just sleepwalking through your faith at the moment, going through the motion. I pray that you'd repent of the sin of unbelief, that you'd repent of weak soft, safe Christianity, that you would repent of selfishness and see and be gripped by the love and power of Jesus, that God would not just be an intellectual idea or the church, some casual club, but that you'd be gripped by the Holy Spirit, born again, not just to right thinking, but right living, loving. Who can you love this week? Who can you encourage this week? Who can you extend out the hand of the gospel and reach this week? And if you are listening and you're not yet a believer in Jesus, wow, I pray that now you would, oh, you'd say yes to him. Be encouraged by the faith of this man. He tried everything else and he knew it didn't work. He knew Jesus was his Lord and he reached out to him. If that's you today, if you say yes to Jesus, I want you to know that he's going to meet you in a very powerful and personal way. He wants to forgive you. He wants to make you clean. He wants to set you apart. He wants to make you beautiful. If you want to give your life to Jesus today, then I'd love you to let us know. You'll see in the platform comments that you can raise a hand. Just click that right now. Let that be a demonstration of faith. And we'd love to connect with you and support you. And if you're joining us on Facebook or one of the other platforms, just just write the word yes. Yes to Jesus. Yes to his love.
because he's reaching out for you. So we're going to go to him now in prayer. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. We thank you for your love and your mercy. We know, Lord, that without you, we can do nothing, but with you, we can do everything. Fill us by your Holy Spirit, we pray. Give us all that we need. Help us, Lord God, to repent of sin. Thank you that you forgive us of unbelief and indifference. Give us a heart to love the world as Jesus loved the world. And for those of us receiving Jesus for the first time, oh Lord, fill us with your grace, fill us with your goodness, fill us with your love and fill us with your hope. We love you, Lord. And I thank you for this time that we've had. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.